Hey everyone, welcome to Entrepreneurship by Design with Dr. C. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline, and thank you so much for joining us today. Entrepreneurship looks different for everyone. How and why we start our business, challenges that occur, pivots we have to make, success we achieve, all while life is happening. That's why I love sharing these inspiring entrepreneurs with you and shed light that there is enough room for everyone to succeed and thrive, even if you're in the same industry. I'm thrilled to bring you this special episode featuring the incredible Dr. Ozzy. As a passionate advocate for entrepreneurship, she has a unique ability to inspire and empower, unlocking the full potential of visionaries and dreamers. This episode holds a very special place in my heart, not only because of the profound insights Dr. Ozzy shares, but also because of the significance of Israel in my life, being Jewish, and the lives of my family. Israel is more than a location. It's a tapestry of memories, traditions, and the vibrant spirit of resilience. Dr. Ozzy's wisdom extends beyond business growth. She dives into the very essence of sustainable strategies and personal fulfillment. Through her courses and consulting programs, she has played a pivotal role in the journeys of countless entrepreneurs, helping them launch impactful businesses, courses, and platforms. Join us in this episode where we explore the intersection of entrepreneurship, purpose, and timeless wisdom that guides Dr. Ozzy's transformational work. It's more than an interview. It's a celebration of innovation, inspiration, and the incredible potential that lies within each of us. And thank you so much, Dr. Ozzy, for being here today. It is such a pleasure to have you. And I would love for you to just dive into your journey, how you got here today, and then we can go a little bit deeper. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, Dr. Caroline, what an honor. I have been following you on social media and we connected so long ago and I'm so happy we finally made this happen. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. It's such an honor to have you. Oh, thank you. So how I got here, where to start? Wow. Um, You know, I... uh, where do you want me to start? <laughs> There's so much to say. I know, I know. You've been through the ringer. I know right now you're going through a major transition with everything going on. I would love exactly. for you to kind of share some of those details of how you got to right now at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So I am originally from Southern California. I grew up in North County, San Diego in a little beach town. And I was the only Jewish girl in my class. Every year I would come be like the token Hanukkah demonstration girl. And as much as I went to Sunday school and Hebrew school, I didn't really know how to explain Judaism or how to explain the holidays. There was so much that I didn't know. You know, we have such a rich history, three over 3,000 years of history and tradition that I didn't have all of that information at my fingertips. And I was always seeking more and I was always seeking spiritually. And as I got older in university, I discovered a whole world of learning and took courses in university and learned with my local Chabad and really delved into the spiritual side and the tradition and became very passionate about the universal wisdom of Judaism and of Torah and this idea that we are really here to build a peaceful and just world. Mm-hmm. And that's really what motivates me. And that's how I got here. That is how I got inspired to move to Israel with my family eight years ago from Los Angeles. We now have four children between the ages of six and 19. And we live in the center of the country. And, um, you know, the entrepreneurial journey has been a story in and of itself. I was an educator for many years. I wore two hats. I was an educator in the formal school system 
and I finished a degree in education leadership, focusing on training teachers to teach in a multicultural society. And I had also been working with my husband over the years in video production, both for communications and for marketing. And our work was primarily with organizations and many of those organizations were focused on Israel and focused on these causes, really building a better world. And at a certain point, we realized that we could even be more effective if we came over here mm-hmm. and just, you know, we came over here and like, let's just see what we can do on the ground. So we came over here. I had finished my degree. We decided we're going to relaunch our company in Israel. We, we call it Kesher Video. Kesher means connection. And the goal was really to connect the world as, as best as we could with whatever is happening here on the ground. So that is what we've been doing for the last eight years since we came. And our clients are, you know, ranging from nonprofits, organizations, universities to Israel based companies, um, large and small innovative startups, some of the biggest companies. And I also wear another hat. I, I train entrepreneurs. I got into, I delved into all my passions when I got here. I wrote a book and I started a podcast and naturally people just started coming to me and asking me for, you know, ideas and advice. And I love bringing people together. So Mm -hmm. I started creating these mastermind groups and that kind of grew. And, um, and I've been doing that. I've been bringing, you know, people together, great minds together to help one another in business. And, you know, recently it's today, November 16th. And so a month and nine days ago in Israel, there was a war waged on our country. And I had been planning to launch another mastermind. And I had all these marketing clients lined up and video clients. And all of a sudden, everything got canceled. Mm -hmm. And I no longer had any interest in, in running a group for entrepreneurs because front and center in all of our minds was, how can we help our country? And that just took over for me. And for the last month and nine days, that is all I have been thinking about singularly focused. So for me, it's really been this regrouping of like, okay, what skills do I have? How can I help? You know, in the beginning, it was like a little, you know, when something happens, Mm -hmm. everyone just wants to rush to help. It was a little bit madness in the beginning. It was like, you know, we have these WhatsApp groups and people will write, okay, the soldiers need gear or the soldiers need protein bars. And I was like grocery shopping and doing all these things that I don't even like to do in the first place, but I was just doing it to help. And then at a certain point I realized, okay, wait a second. Okay. I'm a CEO here. I can delegate that to someone else. And I can step forward and do some like PR and some marketing. And and then the phone started ringing and the video clients started calling and, okay, we need someone on the ground. We want to show the world what our organization is doing here. Um, the organizations here want us to sort of broadcast what's happening and everything just took a shift. So all of our work went from more like generic, um, you know, generic sort of communications and marketing videos for the organizations that they would have, you know, year after year to these very specific, very focused campaigns. So Mm -hmm. that is where we're at today. (laughs) I I love that. And I appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable about where you're at and just the transition, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through shifts in the journey. You think you're going one way and then something happens that's so significant and being able to realize, okay, well, where is the priorities? What needs to be the focal point 
right now here and be able to grow from that. And I love that you did take a step back, realize, okay, let me delegate some of this stuff and be able to help in a different way where it's going to reach more people. So people really know what's going on and what is going on right now. Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, in terms of, of, you know, where we're putting our efforts, I always like to think about like, where can I be the most impactful? You know, we all have our zone of genius. How can we work in it? And, you know, for me, it's not grocery shopping, but I'll backtrack a little bit and tell you what happened. Um, on October 7th, Israel had the largest attack. It was actually the largest attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. In one day, Hamas terrorists murdered over 1,400 innocent citizens of all ages, babies, children, women, and the most they tortured people, they slaughtered people in the most barbaric ways imaginable. The reports that are coming back from you know, the morgues are showing that these attacks were far worse than anything that we ever saw in Nazi Germany, okay? So this is as bad as it gets. And right now there are 240 innocent people, again, babies, there was a pregnant woman, children, teenagers, elderly, being held hostage by the most evil terrorists on the planet <clears throat> right here, just about an hour and a half away from my house. And the country is just devastated. We are devastated every day trying to figure out what can we do to help? Can we pray? Can we advocate? Can we march? Can we today? I was at a rally, hundreds and hundreds of people marching with the families of these hostages and with the families of a young girl who was just pronounced murdered in our town. Her name is Noah Marciano. She was 19 years old. I was just at the mall yesterday picking up some sweatshirts for my six-year-old son, and I saw her picture on the kiosk. And I made a comment, this is so sad, and the young girl working behind the counter said, oh, Noah used to work in the store. And that's what it is here. It's like, we are a very small country. We have 8 million people here. And while that might sound like a lot, it's it's smaller than the city of Los Angeles. And so everybody knows somebody. And, you know, every time you open the news, the newspaper, every time you open Facebook, you see the names and, and we're all looking like, you know, do we know this person? And and unfortunately, even on my in my neighborhood, on my street, we've had we've lost three young people just on my block in the last month. It's, it's just, it's touching, it's touching so many people who are losing soldiers now. And just today there was a terrorist shooting in Jerusalem. Um, I was at the Shiva, the, the ritual morning for a 20 year old girl. Her name was Rose Lubin. She was from the States. She moved to Israel. She served in the police force. She was adorable. She was stunning little sweet young woman who was so powerful and such a hero. And she was murdered last week in Jerusalem. Her parents came in from the States. I was sitting across from her father and he was talking about her. And, and you know, you just hear these stories about people who speaking about how she won the Medal of Honor from the police. She was literally saving people from, you know, helping them dodge bullets and, and incredible stories. She was saving lives and she didn't even tell her parents. She was that humble. You know, this, she was just a hero. And so you hear every day these stories of these people where, you know, all they wanted to do was be helpful. All they wanted to do was give to someone else. These young kids, they grow up, they just want to defend their country. They just want to live in peace. And we're dealing with terrorism. And, um, you know, most recently, really, Dr. Caroline, what has become so clear to me, you know, we're both on social media. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well. 
what is out there in the world of social media and as what is in academia as well about Israel and about this conflict and about this situation is grossly incorrect by and large. Mm-hmm. So that is what I'm focusing on right now. Um, and I'm, we've just opened a new campaign. We're working on a global grassroots PR campaign mm-hmm. in order to clear up some of the confusion yeah. and, um, and really help people get their hands on the facts about what's actually happening here because the world needs to know. The world needs to know when really innocent lives are at stake. And and I can say on both sides, you know, people think there's two sides. People think there's Israel versus the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. But what people don't understand is that the people who you're calling Palestinian are actually the victims. By and large, they are the victims of the terrorist organization Hamas. Hamas is running Gaza. Hamas has their hand in the Palestinian Authority and Hamas has control over a curriculum that is teaching these children from the time that they enter preschool to kill Jews. What do I mean by that? Just last week, there was a report that the children were coloring parachutes because they were parachuters. The way that Israel, the way that Hamas infiltrated Israel was that they went up in parachutes and they literally went over the border and they dropped into a peace festival and they started slaughtering people. And it is absolutely horrific when you think about it and you ask yourself, how can it be that any, how can any human being do this? Are, are people evil? You know, what's going on? But then you realize, wait a second, okay, their leaders are getting on the news and they're talking about two state solutions and peace and negotiations and all of these things. But at the same moment in their curriculum, there's no mention of two states. There's no mention of peace. And in fact, there's no mention of Israel on the map. The map these children see is a map of something called Palestine. Now, Palestine, the British mandate of Palestine was actually run by Britain. There were no Palestinians before 1948. There were groups of Arab people living in this land. 2000 years ago, they called this land Palestina. Why? The enemies of the Jews in the Torah were the Pelishtim, the Philistines, and they wanted to name the country something because they too were enemies of the Jews. And so there's so much happening that people don't understand. And these poor people who we call the Palestinians, these children are being trained from a young age to kill themselves, to kill themselves, to be martyrs. I can show you their curriculum in the fifth grade curriculum. There is a story of a young woman martyr who literally killed 48 people. This is a fifth grade curriculum. And she she was a terrorist. And this is what they read about. She's a martyr. They laud her for her contribution to their people. And they are literally training children to believe that suicide in the name of Allah is what they should strive for. And meanwhile, the same leaders who are pushing that curriculum, who are collecting billions of dollars for that curriculum from all over the world, are sitting in their palaces in Qatar. They're not even here. Mm -hmm. They are using the Palestinian people as absolute puppets in their ploy to destroy the Jews, to destroy Israel, and to ultimately destroy the entire Western world. So we are at the frontier. This is not a war against from Palestine against Israel. This is really a global war 
a global war terror against the free world and we're just watching it play out over here so for me it's really important that people learn to see that and they learn to understand that you know if you want to free palestine you need to want to free it from hamas our real enemy is the terrorist organization here and i do believe there's hope i don't believe anybody's born evil i really don't i believe that Education is the most, like Nelson Mandela says, education is the most powerful tool we can use to change the world. And we need to make that change. We need to ensure that children are given the freedom and given the agency to grow up in a school that will give them the capacity to be their greatest selves, to be who they are, to express themselves, to contribute to society, to take a meaningful role to be good citizens. And unfortunately, that is not the situation we have right now. And that is something I'm very focused on changing. Mm. I just wanted to give a moment for that because I think there's so much misinformation out there where there aren't the facts. And it seems like at least from the US and posts that I've seen, it's um, Palestinian versus Israel, when in reality, it's against Hamas and what's going out there, the terror that's happening, not the actual exactly. civilians and that are innocent in all of this, but the people that have been educated to go and kill and being under the influence of Hamas. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. And it's it's hard to say, you know, um, we look at all people in all places and, and, and children and women and, you know, we want to, we really want to always protect the innocent. And it's so important also to the Israeli military. I mean, if the Israeli military were not the most ethical army in the world, this would have been over on October 7th, right? If this happened in any other country, if the equivalent number of citizens in the United States of America, 45,000 citizens were obliterated in one moment in the United States, you better believe that the U.S. would respond with an absolute and total elimination elimination okay mm -hmm. so the reason why we're going through this unfortunately is that you know i believe that israel has been too ethical with their response and mm -hmm. i'm sure that this is not going to land well for a lot of viewers mm -hmm. but at the end of the day because israel has been overly careful about protecting innocence people are getting out of Gaza and they've been trained to become terrorists as well. So we have to get to the root of this problem. You know, we're never going to protect the innocent people until we get to the root of this problem, which is how, what are we teaching our children and what sense of belonging are we giving people, right? Because you're a psychologist. It's like, you know, we know that everyone wants safety and everyone wants belonging and people will absolutely abandon their common sense. The Torah teaches that every person is born with common sense. Every person knows right from wrong. Why do people do the wrong thing? Because they need to feel a sense of safety and a sense mm. of belonging and so you know you hear about like trends like why do people jump on the bandwagon with the trends mm -hmm. ultimately when we when we peel all back all the layers when we look at it everyone wants to belong to fit in because when we look at our evolution when we look at evolutionary psychology you think about you know caveman mm -hmm. and if a caveman was sent away from his community if he was cut off literally he would perish right so we have evolved from there but we still have this mechanism within us where we need to be part of a community community we are wired for connection and people really need to feel that it is it's it's a primal sense of safety that everyone's looking for 
And so unfortunately, what we have seen and what we're seeing and the problem that we need to solve is that people are abandoning their common sense. These young children don't even have a moment to get in touch with their real God-given intuition and their God-given ability to know right from wrong because from the day that they are born, they are drawn into this brainwash that their only role in this world is to be hateful and to kill and to be even martyrs and suicidal. So that is really the root of the problem. And, you know, again, for anyone listening, like I care about innocent life. I'm an Israeli, I'm a Jew, Mm -hmm. I'm an American, and I value innocent life beyond. I mean, beyond, we, we all do. I want nothing more than peace. Peace is what drives all of us. Peace is the mission of Judaism, of Christianity, of Islam. That is really the mission. And we've just gone, we've gone off course. And it is really, really important that we all come back to what matters Mm -hmm. and to understanding that and realizing how we're actually going to get there. Yeah, no. And I'm really appreciative of you sharing all of this too, and being so transparent of your journey, what you've seen, what the curriculums, things along those lines, the actual facts but you're right. There's this sense of belonging, whether it's good or not good. They're definitely, even if you look at, for instance, gangs, when people join gangs, it's to feel belong and like to belong into a group. And that's just what was triggering my thoughts when you were saying that, because you're absolutely right. It feels better to be a part of something than not, whether it's hateful or amazing. And yeah, I mean, gangs are the perfect example. It's a perfect Mm -hmm. example you just gave me, you know, when I was working on my doctorate in um, Los Angeles, I was researching in some of the poorest schools and the predominantly black neighborhoods, the poorest schools in Los Angeles. And we were trying to understand how can teachers, white teachers, Mm-hmm. reach the most challenged students who are on the brink of dropping out. They are hearing gunshots throughout their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They are living, I mean, they, they're they are young black kids and they live in black neighborhoods. And, you know, it's very challenging to bridge cultural differences. And, you know, I think that for a dominant culture, especially, it's very, very challenging for these students to feel a sense of connection and 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 re, you know receptivity to an outsider and so we were trying to look at like how does an outsider like how do you connect with these students and i went into juvenile hall and i sat with them and you know just try to take a step back and my professor he was his name is dr alan green and he's black and he really instilled this you know overall sense of of justice i mean you know i remember when he gave me my um diploma he said you know pursue justice and that really is our core jewish value is pursuing justice so sitting with those children and 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 really trying to be there for them we always want to do one thing which is we don't want to go with a deficit orientation we're not going into these schools these prisons we're not going into these you know these palestinian schools looking for what's wrong with the people we're trying to understand the system and we're trying to get a sense for their culture and we're trying to even appreciate parts of their culture i think that the arab culture has so much beauty in fact most arabs and jews have a common there are genetics we have common ancestry 
And we have so many traditions in common. We have so much in common. But in any case, it's so important that we acknowledge exactly what you said that, you know, nobody wants, nobody joins a gang because they just want to go be evil. Nobody becomes a white supremacist because they're just born evil. Everyone is operating from a place of fear. That is what I believe. You know, I spent time with Dr. Edith Eva Eger this, this summer and Perhaps you're familiar with her work. She's 96 years old and she's a Holocaust survivor and she's a trauma therapist, an expert in her field. And, and she's so wise at the age of 96. And I, I had the privilege of interviewing her in person. And then I had dinner with her. Just she and I sat and had dinner. And she told me the story of how she had a therapy session with a neo-Nazi. And for the very first time, she was confronted with a neo-Nazi. And her initial response was to kind of finger wag at him and you know mm -hmm. she, as a holocaust survivor especially imagine how triggering that would be yeah. but instead of doing that she said something to herself she said Edie she said find the bigot in you mm. find the bigot in you and if we can find within each of us a way to empathize with the enemy mm -hmm. see their humanity yeah. We can, with God's help, hopefully, heal them, help them, and work together, just like she did. And she was able to find that beneath all that hate of that young neo-Nazi was just a scared child looking for belonging and looking for love and looking for a sense of meaning and importance. And that's really what everybody wants. Oh. No, that's incredible. And I definitely want to hear more about that. Maybe at a later sure. time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Anytime. <laughs> but it's just, it's amazing to realize at the end of the day, we are all human. And I do believe we all are born to give a beautiful gift to the world. And a lot of us don't maybe have that opportunity based off of the society we grow up yes. in. And that can be very challenging because you can't go against what is put out there in the society, especially very dangerous societies, because then you will be killed or other situations yes. that might occur. Exactly. I mean, there's, you know, if, if anyone in the in, in listening to this believes in freedom of speech or if anybody mm. believes in gay rights, or yeah. if anybody believes in freedom of religion, freedom of expression, mm -hmm. that is not available to the Palestinians. It is not available at all. You will be decapitated if you're gay and there are just no freedoms and, and that's really what is so sad what is so devastating about knowing that our neighbors are under this form of oppression and you know it's uh exactly as you said everybody's human and not everybody has the opportunity to grow up and really express their god-given potential because of the fact that they are so oppressed by their societies. And that's what I think is so beautiful. What you do is connect people. You're able to bring peace and bring that connection of understanding what is going on and bringing light to that, but also being able to join forces and make things better for people. Can you speak a little bit more to what you are doing right now with that connection piece and getting Yeah, out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm really trying. I'm really trying. I, I believe you know, we learned something in the world of education about constructivism that, mm -hmm. yes, we have knowledge and we have books and we can learn facts and concepts and procedures and strategies and new beliefs and all of these things. But when you bring people together and you have experiences, you can create new knowledge, you can innovate. And that is something I'm so passionate about. 
And so right now I'm working on a few different things. I'm in the video production world, serving the companies and the organizations that are working here on the ground in Israel to tell mm -hmm. the stories that the world needs to hear. So that's the first thing I'm doing. And I'm also working on a brand new grassroots PR campaign to mm -hmm. help people, to help the public understand Let's clear up the confusion. Let's understand what are the facts on the ground and how can you help? Whether you want to help innocent Israelis or Jews or innocent Palestinians, how can you do that? And I really believe it's possible for all of us. And then the third thing I'm doing is I'm actually launching, and this is, I haven't even announced, announced it yet, but That's I'll share it with you. <laughs> I am launching a brand new incubator for female leaders. Amazing. Yes. So this could be entrepreneurs. It could also mm -hmm. be advocates. Mm -hmm. It could also be business women. And the idea is really to bring everyone together and work on that collective genius and really work on constructing new knowledge and setting goals and staying accountable, staying accountable, staying accountability, staying <laughs> accountable. Um, I speak English and I speak Hebrew, but in the last 30 days, <laughs> we've had a bit of a shift. Um, no, in all seriousness, I really right now, especially feel that you know, we've all been through some, so much emotionally, whether you are in Israel or you're Jewish or you're Christian or you're Muslim, wherever you live in the world, this has affected you. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a conduit for people to help each other, for mm -hmm. women who want to make a difference in the world and want to make an impact, whether it's through their businesses or with their voice, through their advocacy, or even staying strong in their professional roles mm -hmm. in order to be on their game this is what I'm going to focus on. So you are the first to hear about it and it's happening soon. <laughs> I'm so excited for you and thank you for sharing with us. That's yeah, beautiful. absolutely. And I just love the fact of women empowerment, being able to stand in your power, speak your truth and what's going on for you. But even in that leadership role as well, because I think we have more impact when we are leaders and being able to have that influence that's going to have a good impact on those around us and our communities and grow that. And I feel like you are the thing, the image that popped in my head as you were speaking was this beautiful bridge, bringing people together and being able to cross either side and understand that we want peace in the world. We want good in the world. And there are individuals that the outliers of that aspect, but recognizing that's not everybody and everyone has a story and everybody can use their story, use their voice to make that impact. And you are leading by example. And I know that's- Well, thank you. And, and you know, you, what you see is what you are and you're doing it too. And mm -hmm. this idea, you know, you said about authenticity and speaking your voice, I really believe that when we show up as authentic, that is actually what's gonna build peace in the world. Because if you think about it, right, you are as unique as your fingerprint. God created you, God is sustaining you, God is sustaining all of us. Whether you wanna call it God, the creator, the universe, the source, we are each unique, perfectly unique. And we learn that in Torah, there's an idea that there's a good inclination and a bad inclination. So that's the English translation, Yetzer Tov, Yetzer Ra. And the Yetzer Tov is really what drives us to be authentic in ourselves and to really flourish in the world and to do acts of kindness and give to other people. And then there's the Yetzer Ra. Now, a lot of people think, and especially this is like in the, in the world of, um, you know, in the Jewish world as well as in the Christian world in particular, that there is like this inclination to sin. But actually what we learn from our sages is that the evil inclination is actually self-doubt. Mm -hmm. 
That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a person who's driven to do something that you and I would agree upon is not good, is evil even, mm-hmm. is being held back. Their light is literally being closed down from self-doubt. And we can look at, you know, let's take the example of these gang members in the high schools. Those were innocent babies too, right? But what's happening? They feel hopeless. They have absolutely zero agency. They have no ability to believe in themselves. And so then what? Right. So everything that we're calling evil, I mean, I've sat in juvenile hall with girls who were, I mean, you name it, all the things. We don't even need to talk about the details, but these kids who you would, you know, they've committed crimes, they've committed serious crimes. But I promise you, as Christmas was approaching in December, when I went to go visit them, they just wanted to be home and sitting around the tree with their families. And at the core of these children are just these souls who want to do good, but they were never given the opportunity to believe in themselves. And that is what the evil inclination actually is. And so it is our role as leaders, as people to speak our mind, to live our truths, to stop doubting ourselves, whether it's you and I sitting here on a podcast Mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs, as leaders, speaking our minds and not holding ourselves back. Stop comparing ourselves to anybody else who's out there because nobody's gonna say it like you are. Nobody's Mm -hmm. gonna say it like I am. Or if it's the children that we're talking about who never have the opportunity to believe themselves, it's all the same thing. So well said. And, you know, it's interesting because I used to work at an all boys Catholic high school in downtown LA when I was practicing. And it was so interesting because the stories of the juvenile hall just like kind of triggered or you're saying about those. But I think the biggest thing for me was a lot of times they would look at me because I was a different ethnicity. I look different. I'm very, I'm 4'11". So I don't look like the biggest person (laughs) when I walk in the room. They're like, wait, you're like our peer. But it was so interesting about the self-doubt piece. What happened and I would experience was maybe that was the first time someone believed in them or gave them the opportunity and space to really speak their truth, to really understand. Half the time they would sit there, folded arms, not talk to me, all those things. Eventually we broke through that, but it was that trust factor because they never had the trust in themselves, but also a lot of times in their families, they never had that security of being able to say something and feel heard, or it was diminished because in my case where I worked, it was all male. So being a male was a very different experience as well. Like Mm -hmm. you can't cry. You can't show your emotions, toughen and out, be a tough guy, just survive. Exactly. Exactly. So it's just so interesting because that self-doubt piece, I think so many people go through that and realizing when we believe in ourselves or have that one person that's believing in us, it allows us the permission to believe in ourselves or see leaders that are leading the path, just like you and other entrepreneurs out there as well. And hopefully that's what I'm doing too. (laughs) That's my goal. And you, exactly. I mean, I love that you brought that up in this piece about belief. And you know, it's funny, I have on my bookshelf, I walk down the stairs in the morning and every morning I see always believe in yourself. I always remind myself, it's it's a constant thing for me because that inclination doesn't go away. That voice never goes away. It's there. We have to name it. If we want to tame it, we have to name it and say what it is. Okay. That is trying to take me out of the light. And guess what? I'm not going to let that. I'm not letting it happen. We have to tell ourselves. And in order to help another person, you know, talking about schools, one thing that we learned, and I learned this from my, one of my mentors, one of the 
researchers who was, it's, I'm going back already eight years, but his name is Jeff Duncan Andrade, and he works in Berkeley, and he's a professor, and he also works in the high schools, and he works with some of the most challenged students, and the thing that he teaches that's so important is that we as educators have to believe in our students, and we have to do it from a place of truth, and so we have to find evidence. You know, it's so interesting. We have to find evidence that someone can change that someone can accomplish i was on the phone the other day with a a a fellow mother who was sharing with me the story of her son who's been getting into a lot of trouble and at one point in the conversation she said to me i i just don't see anything good about my child nothing good about him at all and i just listened and about 15 minutes later in the conversation she was telling me oh he quit smoking and i said oh okay how about that and she caught herself and it was like okay so like find that thing because nobody's hopeless. There are no lost causes. And and I think that's so important for us as parents, as educators, and then as entrepreneurs, it's like, of course, right? We gotta believe in ourselves. You know, I mean, you're in the entrepreneurial space and you know, it's like when you're your own boss, there's no one else who's gonna build you up except for you. So you gotta do it. And then of course, there's communication piece with everybody we work with and really giving them the evidence and showing them it's not just about saying, you know, it's not about saying you're so good or you're so awesome. It's about saying like, wow, you really helped do X, Y, and Z and showing them like, give me the proof, show me the evidence. What did they specifically do? And we can do it with ourselves, right? Like when you set a goal, it's a smart goal, it's specific and you can measure it. And you want to give yourself that data, that feedback that you're doing things, because at the end of the day, there will always be the pull to stop believing in yourself, but you're going to have to bring yourself back. And that looking for the data, looking for the proof, looking for the evidence and coming back to it and giving yourself that hug and giving yourself that celebration is what we all have to do to stay strong in this quest that we're on absolutely what I have to do because a lot of people are going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Put you down. Maybe yes. not family and friends might not understand what you're doing at first. I know that it was a tra- transition when I left therapy to start my first business. They're like, what are you doing? But that's the beautiful thing. I think when yes. we believe in ourselves and don't allow anyone to shift us in a way that's not going to allow us to continue on the path we want to, because it's unpaved. We're paving it as we go. Yes. And that's a beautiful yeah. thing. It doesn't, you don't know what the outcome is. is until you start going. Then you learn it along is. the way. It's, it's so, it's so beautiful, right? And you know, I think I think the big creativity killer, you know, you go to start a business or a young child has a big dream and someone says, Oh gosh, what if what if you fail? What if what if it doesn't work out? It's like that's safety. We're coming back again. Safety and security. Exactly. But of course, you know, we in this space know that nothing is certain ever. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a therapist as well, and her husband's an entrepreneur, and we were just getting into entrepreneurship years ago. And I said to her, isn't it scary? You know, I mean, having your own business, what could happen? She says, what do you mean? Rather than having one employer, we have 50 employers. So when you have one employer, you can lose your job. But when you have 50 employers, if you lose one, you still have 49. So it's just a different way of thinking about things. Nothing is ever certain and faith is everything, everything. Yeah, 
Yeah. You got to have faith in yourself and whatever you believe in as well. But I love that you did say that self-belief piece and everything that we've talked about. What would you say are your top two tips for entrepreneurs on this journey? Maybe outside of self-belief, because I think that's a big one. (laughs) Yeah. My top two tips. I mean, this is going to be like the first thing that came to my mind and you know, this is going to sound woo to some of our listeners and I'm okay with that. Um, it is woo, but it's also Kabbalah and it's also neuroscience. If you give yourself time every day to sit and breathe and relax your stomach, your belly, breathe really deeply and try to get beneath the surface of all of the swirling thoughts and focus your attention on your heart. Really focusing your attention in, again, this is neuroscience. You can expand your emotional intelligence. You can become more empathetic, more intuitive. And according to what we learned in the Kabbalah, you can also hear the voice of God. So whether you wanna call it again, source or universe or God or intuition, You can connect with the messages that are authentically created for you. So how does that relate to entrepreneurship? Well, it really relates to everything because the more we can receive, the more we can receive truth, the more that we can express who we truly are meant to be and attract what's actually meant for us. And we're really, it's it's nearly, I want to say limitless. It's nearly limitless. We're still in the physical world. But we live in a world of abundance. There really is abundance available to all of us, whether we want physical abundance, spiritual abundance, emotional abundance, all of it. Everything is accessible to us. And so I think it's really important to take that time for yourself and really just remember that you're one of a kind and you're unique and there's nobody who's going to do a better job of being you than you. The second piece in all of this is to stay focused on your vision. Mm -hmm. And I think that the vision can evolve. You know, Dr. Caroline, I remember when I first discovered the work of Tara Brock. Tara Brock is a psychologist and um, Dr. Tara Brock, she is, she must be now in her 60s or 70s even. She's been in this space for so long. And she, I have a lot of respect for a lot of what she shares and teaches. Um, And, you know, she really is, spreading peace in the world in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that she taught me was about a future self, really getting clear on that future self and and getting to know your wise self and envisioning that and seeing that. And, you know, for years I was in that space and I was really kind of connecting to like a certain future version of myself. And recently it changed. I did the practice again. I was in a, I was in a course with Dr. Edith Eva Eager and I did her practice, which is similar. She calls it finding your North star because Mm -hmm. when they were on the boat coming over after the Holocaust to America, the captain of the ship always said the North star was the statue of Liberty. That's where they were going. That was the goal. And so when I did that practice with her, I, it was, it was like, even a step further, it was like, I wasn't sitting on my yoga mat in my glass room in the middle of a forest anymore. I was talking to leaders. I was making a difference in society. I was speaking my mind. I was, you know, really just going out there and 
doing the best I can and letting go of that. Well, who are you to do this whole narrative? Mm -hmm. And I saw something different. So I think it's really important to stay in tune with what do you want for your life? Get clear, be specific, make it measurable. By what date do you want that thing? What is the number you want it to be? How many miles do you want to run? How many dollars do you want to make? How many dollars do you want to donate, Mm -hmm. right? I think it was Mother Teresa who said, you can change the world with a checkbook. So getting super clear on whatever it is you want to do and taking one step and one step and one step and remembering, you know, that picture of the two ladders. If you've ever seen that meme, there's a big tall mountain and there's two ladders and one has these huge steps and the other, the same size ladder, the steps are just smaller and it looks so feasible. And I think that, you know, taking those steps, I always tell the participants in my groups, notice it, acknowledge it every day. One thing, what did you do? What did you take one little step closer? Maybe you made a phone call that you were afraid to make yesterday, or maybe you made an extra $10. Well, guess what? Those $10 a day really add up. And if you shift one degree, one degree, 1% per day, imagine in a hundred days, you'll be making twice as much as you're making now. It's like, you know, it's just a really, it's really important to give yourself that space and that credit and coach yourself because no one else is going to do it. Unless of course you join my program. Um, (laughs) Then you're going to have to. (laughs) Or you listen to Dr. Caroline's podcast. You're here. We're doing it guys. You guys are already doing, you guys are already doing so much. And um, you know, we got to celebrate our progress. I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's those milestones, no matter how small, I always say, look at what you want, the big picture, but break it down and go backwards of bite sizes, because then you have that reassurance of like, okay, I got that step now in step two and versus going to step a hundred, there's going to be pitfalls, except if you just allow yourself to take it one step at a time. Yes. And and I love that you explained that. Funny you mentioned that because like, and I'll just be totally honest and and vulnerable. I tend to set these massive goals. You know, I started like a new business in the beginning of the year and it was like, I want to do this. And my husband was like, Hey, why don't you focus on like, you know, this first. And, and I think that's like, that's just what happens when you're a visionary. And I think so many entrepreneurs are visionaries. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be helpful to like find that integrator, like find that super practical person who can even be your, you know, sort of, what do you call it? I interviewed Sunil Gupta one time. He's an entrepreneur. He said that you have to have a person who's your critic, right? You Mm -hmm. always have to have every entrepreneur, they need a cheerleader and they also need a critic. You need someone who's going to ask you those questions. Well, what if that is too big? And don't you want to start small? And, Mm -hmm. and really just looking at that as feedback and as an opportunity not to be scared and not to stop, but just to ask yourself the hard questions because great. Why not? Right. We all want to be able to answer those hard questions. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? It is. And, you know, I think it's important to have those hard questions. I'm in the process of doing these 200 day challenges. One is a hundred days to, for doing yoga every day, uh, regular. And the other one is to do a hundred minutes of content creation for a hundred days to get to a hundred K. And I had somebody comment. They're like, that doesn't seem realistic. And I was like, you know, everyone's on their journey and your mindset is valid. And you're, and I just commented back today actually about that. And they're like, 10,000 is more realistic, but I think for who? For exactly. Who? I'm like, that might be valid for them, but it, I mean, it's a big goal and my goal is to get there and I, I will, that's yeah. my mindset. But it's just interesting where you have other people that there might be a fear behind that or projecting 
their mindset onto you, but it's good to have the hard questions. It's good to have those challenges. Yeah. I love those comments because I'm like, yeah, it just motivates me yeah. to keep going. And right? I appreciate that person for subscribing and being a part of that journey. But I think going back to what you were saying about when you shift your dream or the outcome, that's okay. Because I started in therapy. I thought I was going to be a therapist the rest of my life. And then I was a coach and now I sell solar and have a company around it. So it's very different per phase of our lives. And we're not cemented into something. I just had this conversation the other day. When we make a, a choice, it's not always permanent. Like obviously there's other things that are permanent. But when we make a choice to shift gears, it's okay. It's part of our journey. And we're able to use all the knowledge we've had from prior experience to where we're at now, even though you shifted the company to focus more on what's going on right now, currently, because it's relevant and it's important and it's the work. And it goes back to your dissertation too about education and justice. So it's still relevant. It's just how we went about it is different. And I think it's such a beautiful transition and recognizing as an entrepreneur, it's absolutely okay to shift, but you have to believe in it. And it goes back to what we were talking about. You believe in it and you know, it's time to shift that. You can always go back, but you don't know if you don't try. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You don't know if you don't try. Absolutely. I'm really curious to just kind of switch gears for a second. What are some of the tools that you use on the back end? Because I think sometimes people are like, well, I want to get on video and I want to do more connection aspects of being able to bring people together. What are some of the things you use on the back end to make all the things happen that you're doing? Sure. So, I mean, really, I, I learned the hard way. I just did everything messy and a lot of DIY. Um, and you know, I started my podcast with a pair of Mac headphones and my laptop and I did that for a while, you know, and it was, it was a hobby for a long time. And then, you know, things progressed and I got a few more tools and tried to expedite the process and found some help. Um, what tools have I found? I mean, most recently, honestly, the most helpful thing I found are people really because for so long in my journey i was just trying to do everything myself but recently i've become very clear that i need to stay in my zone of genius and it took me a long time to really discover what that was Mm -hmm. but i'm finding now that having the right people is making all the difference in the world in my own business and and really also reminding myself like in terms of systems, I mean, just basics, like it's little things. It's like, okay, I could work on my phone and I can answer messages all day, or I can just like put it aside and do it at one time on my computer. Um, you know, having sort of the, the tool, the strategy of putting something back on someone else's plate, right? Like if someone comes to you, um, remembering like what your job is and if it's not your job delegating or sending them somewhere else, Um, I think for me, for many years, it was really, really hard. I was a big people pleaser for a long time. I had a lot of, um, you know, I just felt very unsafe to me telling people what to do or speaking my mind. And I felt like I had to do everything myself. I learned from a young age. Actually, this is so interesting. It just came up for me in therapy. And because you're a therapist, I'll share the story with you. When I was a baby, I was 18 months old. And my older brother, who was a toddler at the time, was riding a stationary bicycle. And I got my foot stuck in the bike. And I had a break in a part of my heel bone that could not actually be repaired. It was one of nine known injuries at the time. 
um, recorded. It was 1982. Um, mm -hmm. And anyway, I grew up with chronic pain and I grew up with a foot that was not fully functional because I learned that nobody could help me. I, I learned that I had pain, yeah. I had a problem and nobody could fix it. And so I developed this yeah. sort of mentality, like I had to do everything myself and I could do a better job and nobody can do it as good as me. And, you know, listen, my dad always taught me, it's hard to find good help. And that's true, yeah. right? Like not yeah. everybody is gonna like check all the boxes, but I do think it's possible. And I think yeah. that that's really been the biggest lesson that I've learned and I've only really come into it recently. Um, it's been a hard one for me. And I think that, that, that as entrepreneurs, really, we have to cultivate a sense of emotional security. If we're going to be able to work with anybody, if we're going to have anybody work and I'll say with us, even if some, someone's working for you or you're working from the, for them, where it's, it's a team, it's a team effort, no matter what. So, you know, it's figuring out, like Jim Collins says, you know, getting the right people on the bus and then, okay, you're going to, you're going to get there together because you're going to work as a team. And if you work with your zone of genius and everyone's really harnessing their strengths, there's so much we can do. You know, my, my friend Courtney, who's working with me on this incredible Israel project, she said to me last night, um, teamwork is the dream work. And, uh, and I just love that. I think it's, I think it's so true. Yeah. We're better together. That's how I view yeah. it. If yeah, so I think that's like the best, that's the best system. I mean, it's people and mm -hmm. gosh, I mean, I could get into like tools, you know, the things I found mm -hmm. um, over time. And look, I love Zoom. I love the fact that you can just invite people. Like I love social media. I love the fact that you can just show up in the metaverse and you can mm -hmm. ask a question. You can invite people to hang out and suddenly mm -hmm. you're on a Zoom. I mean, gosh, just <laughs> last week I did an event with uh with the few speakers we were talking about advocacy mm -hmm. and the situation and and we had people from like countries and countries and countries and different continents and it was just it's just incredible what we can do with two things social media and zoom unbelievable it's amazing and i appreciate your transparency and sharing that story because i do think a lot of times more than not things that come up for us in adulthood are because of childhood or even sometimes generational because of what our families have gone through yes. and generations before them. It's they only do the best they can with what they know. But when we do something different or understand or acknowledge something we've gone through, it gives us a different perspective. And we mentioned this earlier, new information gives us a new perspective because we don't know yeah. everything. I mean, that yeah. would be great, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also, look on that note, I want to be really honest. It's like, even when I was telling you that story, I went down the rabbit hole. I'm still in therapy for yeah. this. And, and something my therapist said to me last week was like, you know, I found a good therapist finally after all these years, which has just been the greatest gift. But she said to me that you can be with your broken parts, you know, and you can just keep moving forward. Like mm -hmm. we don't have to be perfect in order yeah. to take action. We're never going to be perfect. And, you know, for me, that is something I'm still working through. I still have the pain and I still, you know, there's always nothing's ever simple. I mean, I, I share my mental health journey online also. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how much of it you've seen, but that's, that's, it's a huge part of, of my journey. And, um, you know, one thing I really want to be so clear about is like, we're never going to be a hundred percent. Nobody's ever a hundred percent. We're always working. We're always, you know, if anybody tells you they feel good all the time, like just send them my way. I want to meet them. You know, I've never met a person <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just, just having that, that real, clarity that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to need help and ask for help and 
I call my psychiatrist like every other day, you know, I'm texting her, uh, we text, we WhatsApp. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's, it, we gotta be on our game and we have to use whatever tools, whether it's the yoga challenge or the content creation challenge or the psychiatrist or the homeopath or whatever it is. Like, I think it's just so great to get whatever help it is that we need. Absolutely. So beautifully said. And I agree. I think every situation we go through just gives us where we're meant to be. Every situation I've gone through, I'm like, this makes sense in hindsight. Of course, hindsight's 2020. (laughs) Like, why am I going through this? But it's made me a stronger person in every experience and every person I've encountered. I've learned something new. Just even having you on today and being able to hear your story. I always learn something from people selfishly. That's why I love that. (laughs) I mean, that's 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 truth. It says Mm -hmm. um, we learn in Pirkei Avot, the ethics of our fathers, which is Jewish teaching. It says who is wise, one who learns from all. And Mm -hmm. so people wonder, it's like, how can it be that I can learn from everybody? But the truth is you learn from people either what you want to do or what Mm -hmm. you don't want to do. But either way, it's what you want to do, right? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But that's how it makes the world a better place when we are able to listen, to understand. And I think that's a beautiful way to kind of encompass everything we've spoken about is just really bringing that peace and bridging the connection so people can understand what's really going on, but your beautiful heart and how you are really making such a difference on the ground, but also around the world as well. So I so appreciate you being on here today, Dr. Ozzy. Can I share one more thing with you before? Yeah. So you just said, listen to understand. And I think of Stephen Covey and what an amazing principle it is that he shared in the seven habits, listening to understand. And I learned something recently. I talk about this in all my groups and it's like on the forefront for me, it's so important listening to understand. What does it mean? A lot of people think listening to understand means like you're listening and then you're kind of thinking about like, okay, what am I going to say or how am I going to reply? But you're a really good listener. You're actually listening to remember and I can tell. And what we learn from science is that Mm -hmm. When we listen to remember, we actually have a more empathetic experience with the person that we're with. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a game changer. It's a real game changer when we can stop the mind chatter of like, okay, what am I going to say next? Or And just like, let those thoughts go. Like practicing, like, you know, like in meditation, just practice mm-hmm. like, okay, there's the thought, but like it can, it's okay. Like if I need it, it'll be there later. And, and having that mindful experience in a conversation and is rudimentary as basic as it sounds like okay i'm listening to remember it's actually a huge 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 way to connect with people and you are so good at that and i want to give you such a heartfelt compliment this this was an incredible interview i feel like i talked 99.9 percent of the time and you are such a good listener and i so appreciate your having me of course well that's what this channel is all about being able to share the space for you to tell your story, your journey, and people to get to know you. And I love what you are doing in this world. I think it's so important. Where can people find you and be a part of the organizations? We'll link everything below, but if you could let us know too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a real basic landing page and it's (laughs) draussie.co. You can read a little bit about me and you can always send me a message there. If you're looking for a speaker or a podcast guest, Um, In terms of marketing communications, my company is called Kesher Video, and -hmm. I'll give you a link to that. Mm -hmm. And then my next initiative that should be up and running and going strong by the time this airs is called Israel POV, and that's available at bit.ly backslash Israel POV. 
Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ozzy, for being here today, sharing your voice, sharing your journey. I know it's going to help so many people just really understand a little bit more of what's going on, but also everything you're doing to- I do. I do hope so. I really do hope so. And if anybody has a question for me or wants to connect, they can also do that on my website. Amazing. Well, thank you again for coming on, sharing your beautiful light with us. Make sure to- It's an honor, really. Thanks so much. Thank you. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment below. What was the biggest takeaway from Dr. Ozzy today? I'm sure she would love to see that and we'll see you on the next episode.